the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon and greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Fat Tuesday edition of The I Ride Home. I can't even listen. Mm-hmm. I came in to the Word FM studio yep. here today, mm-hmm. like I do every day with my little tea. Yep, right I got mine too. All of a sudden, I'm surrounded by Snacks. Snacks. Trail mix. I've got trail mix, which is my favorite. This mm-hmm. is my absolute favorite. With trail mix, you got your your peanuts, your raisins, your M and M's. It's delightful. That is at, oh, and even some almonds in there, which I'm eating some of. Sure, fine. I am, and then licorice. Black licorice. I red, you know, like um, Twizzlers. Fine. I mean, that's not licorice. I mean. It's like it's it's a snack. I don't mind. It's not it. like I don't mind it either, but it's not this. No. Those are chunks of thick black licorice. Stopped at Trader Joe's today to grab a few um grab a few um Valentine's Day things. I love this. I would bite into it now except that we'll we have to continue on the air to and the then I'm going to have a hard time. So I'll right. wait for the commercial break. All but right. John, thank you for supplying Pleasure. us in this Well, way. in lieu of pancakes and syrup and whatnot, wow, right? I mean this, this is awesome. I'm going to step away here. I, I'm going to say this publicly so I uh, adhere to this. I'm going to step away from sugar. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Me too. Oh, hey, good for you. Okay. I decided, yep. All right. Mm-hmm. So is my wife. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sugar-free Lent. This is going to be really hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's horrible. It's going to be really hard. Oh, I love me some sugar. I just... It's going to be really hard. So, so I'm going to like eat sugar all day long today. Okay, great. <laughs> Go into a little sugar coma. Great. Should be passed out great. about So tomorrow o'clock. should be a nice day here on the show. <laughs> I'll be like laying there babbling. Oh my God. <laughs> all right. Very nice. Big show today. We do have a big show today. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be talking a lot about faith and work Mm -hmm. and what it means to um, have both, mix those, keep them separate, all sorts of things like that. That's right. The Jubilee Conference coming up this weekend at the uh, convention center downtown. Mm -hmm. It's It's a convention put on by the Coalition for Christian Outreach, better known as the CCO. That's what they talk about for the whole weekend. Yep. What does it mean to have a vocation and not a vocation where you separate it from your faith, but your faith informing your vocation and your calling from God being that? Yeah. Integrated so, in all aspects. Yeah. If you're supposed to be a great, you know, en- engineer or you're supposed to be a great plumber, then that can be your ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not a stretch to do that, is it? It shouldn't be. Right. But we have this weird dichotomy we've set There's up. a wall? Yeah. That's that. Oh, well, you know, I do my work and then I go to church. Mm-hmm. But that's that, that. I don't think that's how God calls us I to live. There's so. a there's a richer, better way to live. Integrated in all And things. that's what Jubilee's about this weekend. Exactly. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that. Anyway, we've got guests. guests. Two of our guests are from Jubilee mm-hmm. and uh, really looking forward to talking to them. Very nice. But of course, the world continues to revolve. So, Kath, you present us with a new stories of the day. Without further ado, the top four at four. For Tuesday, February 13th, John. Thank you. 2024. It's Galentine's Day. Galentine's. Are you celebrating Lexi, that? Happy Galentine's Day. 
Happy Galentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Nice. You're all smiley. Um, I'll be I'll be texting my friends later. Oh, uh-huh. happy I'm not, Galentine's. I, I don't have a thing set up. Uh, there's no gathering, but I'm going to take it seriously. Okay. Mm-hmm. Leslie, nope. Of course. <laughs> Number one. The Senate voted 70 to 29 early this morning to pass a $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and the Indo-Pacific, with 22 Republicans joining most Democrats to advance the legislation after a proposal that would have paired such aid with border security measures fell apart in recent weeks. We've talked about that on the air couple times over the last week. The package now heads to the House, but Speaker Mike Johnson said yesterday the lower chamber is unlikely to take the legislation up due to its lack of border security provisions. And we have more stalemate, just in case you're wondering. Good job, guys. Number two, the National Weather Service issued winter storm warnings across the Northeast and New England ahead of a nor'easter that could dump snow on millions of people in the region Monday into Tuesday. And here's the thing. It's perfect here. Perfect. Perfect here. But my family that lives in New Jersey, they've got 14 inches of snow. Would it be us? Also, gusty winds. There's been some moderate coastal flooding. At least half a foot of snow is likely for parts of New York City. Hmm. Um, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said the metro area could see up to eight inches of snowfall. New York City public schools are closed today, Mm. fully remote. Um, At least a half a foot of snow also forecast for Long Island. And parts of interior Connecticut and the lower Hudson Valley could see more than a foot of snow. God bless you. Hope they're all okay. CBS News. It looks beautiful at my sister's house. Does it? Yeah. Lovely. Stay at home, right? Where are you going? Showed her a picture of this. and I mean, I thought we were supposed to get rain and then snow. I think it just went east of us. Mm -hmm. You know, just east. Number three. The past John of Janess Yvonne Moreno, the suspected Lakewood church shooter, includes a turbulent marriage, a contentious divorce, allegations of child and spousal abuse, a checkered criminal record, and a well-documented history of mental health issues, according to ABC News. Now, you're wondering why we're talking about this person. She's accused of entering Joel Osteen's Houston megachurch with her seven-year-old son before opening fire as hundreds of people were taking to their pews before a Sunday afternoon service. Moreno, 36 years old, has used multiple aliases, including several uh, male alias. I'm not sure what's a real name and what's an alias, to be honest with you. I'm looking at this list of names in front of me. Well, the police department drilled down into this at a uh, press conference. And what did they say? It was confusing. It's very confusing. I mean, I'm really not sure even how... Anyway... Uh, Although it appears she has gone by both male and female names in the past, investigators' interviews and documents connected to her life so far show that Moreno has been identified as a female. You can read more about this very confusing story at ABC News. And number four, according to early Nielsen figures, a whopping 123.4 million viewers tuned into the Super Bowl across networks and streamings, making it the most watched telecast in American history. That's cool. And that is your top four at four. I mean, that's incredible. That is incredible. That is really incredible. So I wonder why this one was the most viewed. Swifties. Of course. Taylor Swift. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, of course. I was like drilling into all the football possible. I was like, so Mm-mm. do you think it's, it's Pat Mahomes? They're finally thinking that he's going to be the best. I yeah. never thought it that was it was an, the Swifties. Right, it was an early Galentine's Day, right? The Swifties are there. Well, I'm glad you're here, John. Thank you. Pleasure. She's going to maybe beat the White House as well. 
if she can fit it into her schedule. It's hard when you're going back and forth between <laughs> Tokyo and here. Yeah, I think it's Australia. Oh, is it? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm up to date on that, on that calendar. So we'll let you know. God love her. Okay, we'll take a quick break. Come back. We'll be right back. It's the Tuesday, Fat Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. From my own personal story, I believe that it hasn't been until recently that therapy, counseling, has slipped away from the stigma that a lot Uh of people applied it to, especially as Christians. And what does it mean as a Christian to go into therapy and interested in having a Christian guide you through that therapy? Dr. Toya Jones is with us from the University of Pittsburgh School of Social Work. She's assistant professor of a BASW program director, a person of faith. She will be at this weekend's Jubilee, the Coalition for Christian Outreach, where she will conduct a workshop on what it is to be in therapy. Toya, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Toya, I'm glad I'm glad you're here. And I think I echo what John said, because I remember when we first started our radio program, it was a real reach to talk about therapy, like to to say out loud, you know, I'm in therapy uh, for us to talk. Uh, people really recoiled. Yes. And it was mm-hmm. kind of seen at that point as like embracing some kind of secular science. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Okay, so what's your experience with that? Yeah, so, you know, uh, I grew up in a black church and a Baptist church. And so if you think the stigma was was pretty um, daunting around um, the city and around the state, uh, my goodness, you know, growing up in that environment, uh, we all know as Christians, you know, God will fix anything. Oh, well, he absolutely will. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> he helps to fix problems and issues through other people. He gives us gifts as therapists, and we are there. Yeah. We are Christians. Sometimes we're undercover, and sometimes we ha- we hold our flag high with our cross. But he gives us gifts and talent and helps us to help heal other people. And I do, you know, I remember that. I probably was one of those people. And then I became a therapist and understood (laughs) that. You know, God works through science. He is the inventor of science. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Wait, so Dr. Jones, then you're saying this is also a a racial thing as well? That as hard as it was to sort of sell therapy to white Christians, black Christians themselves recoiled even deeper? Well, that's my my one opinion of my one, you know, self. I don't represent all black sure. folks, but there there's such a, you know, a stigma that black folks don't go to therapy. Well, we absolutely do, and I see plenty of us in therapy. Um, but it, it is that, you know, it's that belief that is deeply rooted that, you know, we don't talk about our business out in the street. Okay. You know, take that and join it with, religion and faith, and we believe, you know, all together as Christians, we believe that God, you know, um, is the fixer of all problems and the healer of all things. He is, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that we can't combine therapy and the gifts and talents that God gives us, along with His Scripture, His healing power. Like, where in the Scripture does it say that? Nowhere. So it's, it's our own stigma, it's our own upbringing that says, you know, we, we can't seek any help outside of the church or outside of our home or grandma or auntie. 
it's just not true. And it's been passed down through generations. Yeah. I'm so pleased to see this generation. It's like, hmm, I think you all are getting it. Yeah. We can have it all. Well, one of the reasons I think maybe we're getting it, uh, and I'm not just talking about this current generation, but my generation, is because we got so desperate we needed help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for me, I've, I've shared my story on the air multiple times, Dr. Jones, but I had a, um, had a postpartum anxiety disorder that was so profound after my second child was born that I didn't have any choice but to go to therapy. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I had to make it. Oh, well, maybe it'd be good for me. Like it was an emergency situation. Um, And then through that, and I went, you know, every week for three and a half years after I was in it for a good three months, I realized that what I was experiencing. Yeah, I, I was having a lot of hormonal issues and all those sorts of things. But I just had a lot of stuff from my past, from my own character from you know all of it that i i just realized how far i had to go before i could even kind of think of myself as healthy and then since then i've just been so immeasurably grateful because my life changed at that point really my relationship with god became real it's not that i was faking it before but i just don't think i was mature enough to be able to be honest with god about really hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So wait, so, so then all that then, Dr. Jones, there's a, is there a distinction? I, I'm sure there is in some ways. People say, I'm going to go into therapy, but what about the difference between a, you know, a secular therapist as opposed to a Christian therapist? And, and how should you follow that road? It's a great question. But first of all, um, I commend you for going to therapy and knowing it was time to do that. You, you just talked about the whole healing process and transformation. So I'm hats off and bravo to you. That's that's how we need to think about healing from inside and outside. Uh, you know, a secular ther- therapist versus a Christian therapist, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you don't know who your therapist is underneath all that. And sure. I have found a nice little dance, a samba <laughs> of some type, <laughs> to, you know, perform or to deliver within the therapy room. Mm. I've been Christian. I love Jesus. And I and I present that in everything I say and do. My light will always shine. Even if I'm in the secular environment, it doesn't matter. God's light shines through me. Yeah. And so when you are looking for a therapist and picking a therapist, you don't necessarily have to go to the Christian pages. You can, and that's a way to go about it. But as a, as a clinician, a trained clinician, I would advise more to look at the skills and look at the education. What is their background? What is your issue that you want to go and receive healing um, for? And then look at what their specialties are. So I'm a trauma expert and a trauma specialist. That's what I've studied. That's the type of therapist I am for over 20 years. You want to come to or you want to go to a specialist of trauma if you've gone through a traumatic situation or multiple trauma situations in your life. You don't want to go to um, a foot doctor (laughs) if you have a heart issue. Just to make it simple, you want to do the research. You want to call and ask questions. And listen, if that therapist is not right for you, you can pull out and go to another one. It's We are people. And so if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit, and it's okay. Mm, it's cool. also okay to ask, what is your faith? What is your belief? Because you know we're, we're in here in plain clothes, 
sometimes, and we're therapists without hanging the flag. And so we're we're really open to say, well, yes, I'm a person of faith, or I have a strong spirituality. And then we can go from there. But it's not necessary just to look up, you know, specifically a Christian therapist. You might find us anywhere and everywhere. That's good. Mm-hmm. Dr. Toya Jones is with us. She's the University of Pittsburgh School of Social Work Assistant Professor. She's going to be speaking this week at the CCO's Jubilee Conference, which is happening downtown at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Uh, it is a conference for college students, but not just college students. So um, you are also general public welcome to attend. Um, Dr. Jones, I guess I want to ask you about people who are out there who have never gone to therapy and this recurring thing comes into their heads. I, I think I'm crazy. I, I think I'm maybe I'm I think I must be crazy. I remember thinking that over and over again before I went to therapy because my thoughts were so muddled. You know, I couldn't make sense of it. I it was I couldn't see what was up and and what was down. So if people are hearing us talk and they're thinking, I, I think I'm crazy. What would you say? <laughs> I I get this all the time from new clients. I came because I thought I was crazy. I feel crazy. This isn't normal, is it? And usually, you know, therapists, we normalize through symptoms. If, if you're sneezing and you have um, a headache and your sore throat and, you're, and a runny nose, most likely you have a cold or the flu or something like that. Symptoms, you know, mental health and uh, mental health diagnosis, they have symptoms. We study the symptoms and we can hear it and say, it sounds like you're struggling with depression. It sounds like this might be anxiety. That is not labeling you. It is normalizing what you're going through so that you don't feel crazy. You're not crazy. You might have something crazy happen to you. Now that happens. <laughs> the pandemic was crazy. And a lot of us struggle through that. Therapists or pastors, whoever, we struggle through it and it made any pre-existing diagnosis like anxiety, depression, bipolar made it worse, but it didn't make you crazy. It, may, it means that you struggle through some things and you are struggling through some things and you, you need some assistance. You wouldn't carry a whole bunch of groceries up 11 flights of steps if you had a big crowd of people saying, I'll help you carry those bags. Mm. That's what it's all about. You know, going in and, t- and telling your story, talking about what you are experiencing and allowing the therapist to coach you and to help you through that journey of healing. That's good. And you're not crazy. You just go, a lot of crazy stuff is happening. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Dr. Jones, can you comment on this? I, I see this often, <clears throat> especially with a younger generation where there's um, large companies on the internet where you would go in and do a, um, a five minute consultation with a therapist and then after that five-minute consultation, you're prescribed medication. Um, it seems to be a little off the off the track for me, but I see especially a younger generation doing this, just a short little visit, and then all of a sudden you're hooked into some sort of medication. Now, I'm not anti-medication. I believe that talk therapy and medication also can be extremely valuable, but in some ways it feels as though people exploit um, medication with the absence of talk therapy. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> we are a, a pill-pushing, take a Tylenol for every pain type of society. And, you know, visiting just just with my travels, visiting different countries and, 
in Africa. And I noticed that people don't rush to medication quite like we do in America. You know, God bless us. But we, <laughs> we like our pill. <laughs> something hurts, something's uncomfortable, take a pill, take a medication. Yeah. And it's a billion-dollar industry. And so psychiatrists are who prescribe in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, psychiatrists are, are med, you know, they're doctors, and um, they're, they're medically trained to prescribe medication to whatever ails you. And, and I'm so glad that you said that you do believe in medication and therapy. I do, too. But my clients, all you know, they know we're going to we're going to look at all the ways that can help heal, like sunshine and walks mm. and being around friends yep. and eating healthy and drinking water and, you know, things like that, playing with your dog. And, you know, we, we look into all those things, music and art, you know, before we look at medication. Sometimes the situation is at a point where you need medication to help balance, get you back on track. And then you can be weaned off. Some have to take medication for the rest of their life. But whatever it may be, medication should not be the first thing that you do. Uh, You you have to try other methods. And there's so many treatment models out there. There's so many different practices. There's so many different ways of healing and getting through your situation. And we know the most powerful treasure, which is Jesus Christ. So we can call on him for any model that we use and, and become whole again. So those are my personal beliefs on, on medication. I don't I don't knock it, but it's, it's never the first choice. That's I good. agree with that. That's valuable. Yeah. So Dr. Jones, uh, as you came in and uh, as you exit, we uh, talked about you being at uh, Jubilee this weekend at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Um, you're going to do a workshop, yeah? Oh, I'm so excited about it. Uh, last year, uh, I was there, but as a singer. So I am a singer. Oh. Uh, uh huh. Nikki Porter is my sister, and she leads what? the whole. Wait, Nikki Porter's your. Section. Wait, is your is your is your genetic sister? My genetic older sister. Get what? Out. <laughs> you know that no, I've been say, friends. I've been friends say, with your sister I'm, for like a more like fifteen years. Oh, well, then you know how wonderful of a person she is. Are you Surely kidding is. me? Off She's outstanding. We had no idea. Isn't she? Isn't she? <laughs> And she didn't pay me to say any of that. No, she didn't pay me to say any of that either. <laughs> well, it never hurts. I'm the little sister. Let it be known. <laughs> Very so good. Try to say the opposite. But no, I am so excited. Um, I sang last year. Now I'm singing this year too. But I get an opportunity to present. Uh, I'm, I'm just very excited. And I teach college students, so I, I get to merge my world. Oh, that's awesome. Being a Christian and being a professor, so I, I'm really excited, as you can see. I absolutely <laughs> love I, it. And I do I do a podcast. It's called Healing Overflow with Dr. Toy. And a lot of the topics that I talk about are social work topics and therapy topics. And I get to bring that. I feel like I'm bringing it to a live stage because most of my audience are college students on Pitt campus and also the surrounding area. So I get to talk about something outside and in the open to the students that I really believe. I wholeheartedly believe in it, and I hope it'll be really helpful to the to the students. Well, it's been a real pleasure to meet you. It really has and, been. And uh, I Thank hope you, things go super well this weekend. That's Dr. Toya Jones, University of Pittsburgh School of Social Work Assistant Professor and Speaker at this week's Jubilee. JubileeConference.com. We're all facing something. And whether it's everyday stuff like, you know, work or parents and kids or whatever it is, or maybe you're 
navigating a really hard season. Look, if any of us are honest, uh, sometimes we just feel disconnected from God. But Lisa Turkhurst gets it. She understands the struggle, and that's why she's created special nights to provide sacred space for women like you, like me, to simply show up, to soak in some truth, and to be reminded that there is hope beyond what we're currently facing. Listen, I think it's going to be an incredible one-night event full of biblical wisdom, practical teaching, and powerful worship. So grab a friend and join us on March 15th at Amplify Church in Pittsburgh for the Your going to make it tour. Listen, I think that this is going to be something that could really mark a difference in your winter season. Look, hasn't been a lot of sunshine, all sorts of things in your personal life. Um, You think spring is a long way away. You think, oh my gosh, is there ever going to be an end to my circumstance? Well, maybe March 15th will be a night of turnaround for you. The good news is, I've got four tickets to give away right now. Two pairs. Is this a woman's event? This is a woman's event. Okay. Two pairs of tickets. Uh, this is advanced, right? But wordfm.com if uh, you don't win the tickets. Uh, how about callers number 9 and 14? 800-320-8255. That's 800-320-8255. Two pair of tickets, right? So you and tickets. a friend and uh, go and uh, enjoy yourself and uh, find something in the community. Okay. Speaking of community. Yeah. Um, my community is going to appreciate this. Guess what I made for dinner last night? Chop suey. Tuna melts. Hey, I forgot to tell you, I had tuna melts the other day. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was completely resistant to tuna melts before mm. what, two weeks ago? Yeah. We now I can't stop it. You're like, miss tuna melts. I am. Mm-hmm. I can't. Like I'll be, it'll, you know, I'll be getting ready for the show around four o'clock and I'll start thinking about mm-hmm. it. Maybe I could make a tuna melt. Are you doing open face? I am. Yeah. I feel like it's the way to go. It, do you use knife and fork? Yes. So do I. Mm-hmm. With a broiler? Yes. Mm-hmm. What about uh, Jewish rye? Yeah, pumpernickel. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like with all the seeds. Okay, sure. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, when we're making the tuna, I'm putting in a little mayo, some Dijon mustard, mm-hmm. and some onion. Okay. Delish. Okay, I'm putting in some cornichon. What? Those those little, you know, they're like French mini pickles. What? They're super duper really? tart. Really? Super duper tart. And uh, they come marinating in a glass jar with little pearl onions. Get out. So I chop the onions up too. And the corn, put those in there. I have celery in mine, what? stone ground mustard, <laughs> and the juice of a lemon. What the heck? Oh, we have pickle juice. Oh, That's like next level I'm stuff. I'm telling you. It's Holy heck. so good. It's yeah, yeah. super duper The aforementioned good. tuna melt. I can't believe I mocked it. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I, I hope this is enough. I've publicly repented. Well, I told my wife, I said, you know, we talked about this the other day, and Cass said she hasn't had one in at least 15 years. My wife kind of snorted. Of course. Yeah, she's like, what? <laughs> what? What's going on? <laughs> kind of. Little. I mean, maybe that was a little over the top there. Yeah. Sorry, honey. <laughs> Listen, I just, I'm. Now you're on board. I mean, we've got, a, I've got a lot to do today, mm-hmm. but uh, I, maybe that will happen tonight as well. Tuna melt Tuesday. It's fat Tuesday tuna melt. <laughs> exactly. Imagine. Live it up. Whether you're a baby Christian or you've been a Christian for any number of years, it is a question that comes up often and vexes Christians. How do you study the Bible? A lot of people just can't make sense of it all. 
Well, and we're happy to welcome to the show Jacob Rodriguez. He's going to be at the aforementioned Coalition for Christian Outreach Jubilee, the CCO, this weekend at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. And he's going to talk about how to study the Bible. Jacob Rodriguez is Assistant Professor of New Testament at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, Pennsylvania. Previously, Jacob served as a teacher and pastor in Ethiopia, England, and Washington, D.C. He completed his doctorate in New Testament at the University of Oxford. And happy to welcome him to the show. Jacob, how are you, sir? I'm well, John. Thanks so much. How are you doing? Good. Real good. Our pleasure to have you here. We're excited for this conversation. Yeah, we sure are, because I, I think it's I think it's so important. Jacob, I, I grew up in the church, uh, but when I got to college, um, I was uh, privileged, truly, truly privileged to have a CCO worker um, who just taught and taught and taught. So my four years of school, I was, you know, a college student learning, you know, whatever I was learning in the classroom. But then my time with my CCO worker was a different kind of classroom. And he was the first person who said to me, look, because I'm a big reader. He said, when you open a book, he said, you open a book three quarters of the way through. Your assumption is that what you're reading has something to do with what happened before that in the book. But people don't look at the Bible that way. They assume, oh, I'll just open it up and something really meaningful will jump out or I can just focus on I can just read about Jesus or maybe I'll just have a New Testament only Bible. Uh, What's your response to that? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, important to see, like, first and foremost, that the Bible is a story, a beautiful story that makes sense when you see its beginning, its middle, and its end. Kind of the the basic principle that we um, really internalize, even as children, when we ask our parents or our, our caregivers to read us another story, we we know what it's like to uh, to be in a story, to be to be captivated by it, and to want the conclusion to come and have that kind of, you know, quintessential happy ending. Um, And so instead of just sort of uh, opening up the Bible kind of um, um, to whatever page kind of jumps out at you and trying to spot pick meaning or maybe even read your own meaning into it, I think it's most important to see where every passage, even every verse fits into the the great uh, really love story that the Bible is from Genesis uh, all the way to uh, uh, Revelation. Yeah. So, Jacob... Talk about the way in our back and forth, you said, you know, there are three ways that people usually read the Bible. And I found this fascinating. Could you go into those three ways? Yeah, yeah. Um, so a uh, first one, um, and this is one that I consider as an academic, uh, I encounter it all the time and really appreciate its value, but also see its limitations. And the first is uh, 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 treating the Bible like it's a window. So a window into the ancient world, whether it's, you know, the ancient Near East of the Old Testament or, you know, first century Roman Palestine of the New Testament or across the Mediterranean basin and the Roman Empire. Uh, scholars, uh, for the most part, treat it in this way. And it's immensely valuable as a historical resource. And it, it, it really it does measure up to the scrutiny of historical, in, uh, the scrutiny of historical inquiry. Um, but if we treat Treat it simply as a as a window. Um, we're kind of observing it as detached observers, and we're not actually stepping outside, you know, mm-hmm. through the window into that world and experiencing the story and its redemption ourselves. 
But the second way is uh, rather than a window, it's treating it like a mirror. And uh, instead of being concerned about the ancient context, it's more concerned with uh, me or us or our present day uh, questions, concerns. Um, uh, um. And then when we look at the mirror, we're more trying to answer questions about ourselves than we are about what Scripture is saying um, uh, 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 it, on its own terms. Uh, uh, so I think the third way, the one that I mentioned at the very beginning, seeing scripture as a story um, uh, uh, of God uh, and the world, uh, uh, we can, uh, when we read it that way, we can appreciate it and and see ourselves and understand our true selves when we know the God of the story and the story that he's written. And of course, it's helpful to use those historical tools um, uh, mm-hmm. for uncovering the meaning of scripture. Mm-hmm. So that stained glass window approach, that big story is what my friend was talking about all those years ago, saying you have to you have to recognize that the story of God is immense and it starts in Genesis. Um, What we know of the end of it or the beginning of the new age is in Revelation. But but we we figure into it. Right. So it's kind of like the most ideal, the most gripping novel, except that we're characters. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And thanks for bringing up the metaphor of the stained glass window. Um, I mentioned that in our correspondence previously and forgot to just me- mention it here. But that 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 uh, picture, literally a picture, if you've been in an old church and the light is coming through the stained glass window and there's this there's this story that's told. And uh, if you start at one side of the window and kind of work your way up and across, uh, um, you can see a beginning, a middle and an end. But also you can appreciate the the simultaneous, the coherent beauty that's always there in the window. Um, and so that that's how it is with Scripture as well as beginning, a middle, and an end. But we can see God's love, God's plan, His character that's always there. And, just, um, and then imagine if you see, uh, as you're kind of uh, casting your eyes across this stained glass window, all of a sudden you see yourself in that stained glass window as a uh, an important part of the story. You're not the main point of the story, but you're invited to be a part of the story. Uh, that's really the honor that we have as God's people to to read uh, the story of God. We're talking with Jacob Rodriguez from Trinity School for Ministry. He'll be downtown this weekend as part of the Jubilee, the CCO conference at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center, talking about how to study the Bible. Jacob, it, it breaks my heart. Uh, oftentimes in popular culture, whether in talk shows or whatnot, you'll see it on the web, where people who are not believers and who don't know the Bible will often mock the Bible and say, well, you know, it's it's a bunch of old stories written by a bunch of old guys. It's full of contradictions. Right, that has no, a lot of hypocrisy, has no relevance to today's modern culture. And of course, <laughs> that's the absolute opposite of what the Bible is. But yeah, for people, yeah. I, I know this to be true, and I'm, you know, it's a lot of people's stories want to read the Bible, but then when they open the pages, they stumble and they get lost and then quickly to just give up and say, it's not for me. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. So yeah. people are listening. I mean, oftentimes, you know, we hope that there are non-Christians listening to this conversation as well. So if you are a non-Christian or a baby Christian, how do you start? 
Yeah, one place I love to start um, when I'm reading the Bible with someone who, who's not a believer and they're just exploring, or reading with someone who's a brand new believer and wants to know, you know, where to start with Scripture. I like to start with one of the Gospels, um, usually, uh, so either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, um, starting with the Gospel of of uh, or I, any of them. Like for example, Matthew one one, it literally says it starts with the book of genealogy or the book of Genesis. So it starts at the beginning of the story. Uh, John 1, 1 begins with, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God or Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospels are clearly understanding their own position within the whole story of scripture and they clue the reader to start at the very beginning of the story. So it's a, it's a really good place to begin and then it moves pretty quickly as you, as you, 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 you see the, the footsteps of Jesus and follow him as a real human being working in human history and see how the world reacts when he when it encounters this man Jesus of Nazareth and then as the reader uh, um, journeys with Jesus they learn more and more about his character and then when you get to the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, you're really confronted with the truth of, of, of a God who comes to be with with creation and to share with them his his infinite love um, so so the Gospels is, I think, a really, really good place to start mm-hmm. with uh, new believers or, or non-believers. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Jacob Rodriguez, Assistant Professor of New Testament at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, PA. Um, Jacob, what do you think about uh, the people that say, oh, it's a start of a new year, I'm going to read the Bible through, I'm starting in Genesis 1, and I'm going to hit uh, the end of Revelation, and it's going to be a terrific year. In February 13th, they're done. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, usually around the time they get to Leviticus and right. the sacrificial uh, codes, et cetera. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what's yeah. your comment on that? And uh, I, I'm assuming that you think that there's probably a better way to approach it. Yeah. So um, uh, now some people are just incredibly disciplined and, you know, can do that, you know, wake up at five every morning and have their, their quiet time, you know, before anybody else is awake in town. Uh, and if that's if that's a listener, I uh, um, God bless you in that. That's an amazing you can do that. Um, the most of us, though, you know, we need to find ways to motivate ourselves and also set reasonable goals for ourselves um, so that uh, rather than just kind of uh, uh, throwing it out completely, and saying, you know, I give up. Uh, we can we can go at that pace. Uh, so one thing I, I would really recommend is whatever kind of like find a church community, find a group of friends that you can read together with, um, and and talk about what you've been reading through. Because uh, scripture reading should never just be uh, me myself and my Bible. It can be it's it's me encountering God in the company of His people. Uh, the tradition that I, I belong to uh, is the Anglican Church uh, Trinity. School for Ministries, an Anglican seminary, and we have something called the lectionary that has a regular set of readings that you hear in chapel or in church every day that, that you attend. Um, and even in your own time, you can go through uh, a set of psalms every day. Uh, and so you're, you're, you're engaging the psalms as you talk to God, like one or two psalms a day. And then you're doing one or two chapters a day uh, with uh, hundreds, thousands of people across the world that are following.
following that same reading plan. So that's one way to do it. It's not the way to do it, but I think the common theme is reading in a community that can encourage one another uh, that, that together we're encountering God by reading his word. That's beautiful. Jacob, before you leave us, uh, talk to us about um, Trinity School for Ministry. I mean, there you are in Ambridge, Pennsylvania, and, and we know people come from all around the world to study and to, to learn at, at uh, Trinity School. Tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, we have uh, students uh, currently from Uganda, uh, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Kenya, wow. um, Mexico, and across North America. Um, and uh, um, uh, the, the the ordinance, the, uh, the seminarians who come and study, uh, mostly are being sent out to um, the Anglican Church in North America and to the uh, North American Lutheran Church and also to some uh, Presbyterian uh, denominations. Uh, but we're uh, more than happy to welcome people from um, a whole, um, all different kinds of, of Christian backgrounds. Um, and uh, the kind of the, the, the meat and potatoes or the rice and beans of, of, our, of our life together is um, uh, what we would use. The word we use is a, a, a liturgy. That's a regular worship of the living God in community. And so we start every day with chapel where we hear God's word read and we pray corporately and lift our own uh, prayers up to the Lord and we sing a hymn together. And then we go into the classroom and, and engage the mind. We get into the the, the, the nitty-gritty questions of, of Scripture and of, of theology and of, of talk about God and how we apply it uh, to our current ministries and our future ministries. Uh, and that really forms the ecosystem of the spiritual formation that we're all about here at uh, Trinity School for Ministry. Outstanding. Wow. It sounds very powerful. Yeah, and it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show, Thank Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you. It's a delight. Um, Jacob's assistant professor of New Testament at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge. But he's going to be this weekend at the CCO's Jubilee. Um, His workshop is called How to Study the Bible. Again, Jubilee for uh, whatever college student you know, but not just limited to college students, open to anyone. This weekend, David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Find more info, jubileeconference.com. Check this out. A new musical based on Anne Frank's diary Mm. has hit the stage in the Netherlands with a producer and star convinced the story needs telling now more than ever. Mm -hmm. It's called Gion, Yours Aunt Anne, which sticks faithfully to the account of the Jewish teenager whose story of hiding from the Nazis in wartime Amsterdam has become, of course, famous around the world. The stage consists only of a concrete Star of David divided into sections representing the rooms in the secret annex where the Frank family and four others hid for more than two years. The eight characters rarely leave the stage, perching on bits of luggage, their only worldly possessions, creating a sense of claustrophobia throughout the production. We were the only we were only there for a couple of hours, said the producer, and they were there for two years and they didn't know that they were going to be there for two years. Mm. The musical known uh, is shown for the first time on Saturday to a full house in the northern Dutch town of Benjink is a reboot of a 2010 production. The uh, current events inspired the reboot to uh, make uh, GN 2.0. 
Of course, incidents of anti-Semitism in the Netherlands uh, doubled last year and around the world, according to a recent report by the CD Group, which monitors such episodes. Anti-Semitic attacks have risen around the world since the Gaza uh, war erupted on October 7th, sparked by an unprecedented attack by Hamas militants on Israelis. The songs in the musical chart the range of emotions portrayed in the diary with moments of happiness and joy interspersed with a haunting sound of bombing, police sirens, and the screams of Anne as she wakes from nightmares. Punctuating the music are reports from the radio where the fate of the Jews deported from the Netherlands to the gas chambers becomes increasingly clear. Mm. The play ends with a powerful final number where the characters believe liberation is imminent. Hearing the news of D-Day, they dance around and sing, Finally Free, picking up coats stamped with yellow stars of David and preparing to leave their waiting room. But then the song is interrupted by a police siren as the family is betrayed by the Nazis. One by one, they leave the stage as the actors playing Otto, Anne's father, reads out their fates. Died in Auschwitz. Died in Birkenbelsen. The production will continue on for a couple of months. The new production of The Diary of Anne Frank in the Netherlands. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, greetings. Good afternoon to you. Thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock hour of the Tuesday edition of The Ride Home. Once again, jilted by the snow. I know. Jilted. Uh, Disappointed? So, Well, yeah, I think so. Me too. Yeah, all this like build up. Yesterday on the program, oh we talked God. about the fact that it was going to be, you know, between like midnight and 7 a.m. Yeah, or something here it like comes. That. And so I woke up, I, I don't know what time because I don't look at the clock, mm-hmm. but I peeked outside. Nothing. Nothing. I, you know, you don't hear rain on the roof. Nothing. Nothing. A little hail. Right. There was no, no little like no. sleet action outside. Then there I woke up nothing. proper at 7. Looked out the window, it was like, you know, spring morning. It was. Like the daffodil. It was. Where the crocuses were coming up. And then I pulled out my phone, and my family, mm. uh, my extended family who live in the Jersey area, one shot of yard after another, yard after yard, a foot of snow. Nice. A foot of snow. And were they joyous or were they suffering? They were pretty joyous, yeah, I think. of course. I think they were fine with it. Well, I mean, I like the National Weather Service. I, right. But we're yeah. always sold a short bill of goods here. Cause I, I think... It's just the media trying to ramp us up. There has to be one emergency after another. I hate to say, you know what it is? What? The absence of Bob Kuzma. The weather's gone down. <laughs> Once Bob Kuzma passed, you don't, who do you trust anymore? Th- especially his belts. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were a little maybe thicker than they should have been, and I liked it. Yeah. Because, well, that was the style it in was. the 70s. You it know? was. But seriously. I mean, it feels as though, oh, here it comes. Let's all get excited. Where something's going to happen. That's... And then there's all these like bells and whistles and alarms and, and there's nothing. Dots there's out no there. follow through on that. Nothing. There really so, isn't. Once again, no snow. Sad. Um, New York City schools, by the way, like they're all closed. Yep. Every, everything's closed in Jersey. I mean, people have. Are, Shut her down. They've battened down their hatches. The joy of a snow day. Coming up on the five o'clock hour of today's ride home, uh, we're going to talk to our good friend Neil Plantinga about gratitude, mm-hmm. um, but more specifically, how you can take care of your faith. And, you know, we often talk about how uh, faith is through 
grace alone, right? It's just that's the way it is, not right? Works. It's not works, right? So our salvation is not dependent on how good we are because I mean, how good could we possibly be? <laughs> Get up out of the gutter, Johnny. Uh, so, yeah. So we don't look at it that way. However, there has to be an element of our responsibility, right? Got to do something. We have, I mean, we have choices to make in a day. Yeah. We have choices to make in a life. Can't be a little sin machine. So how does that, always, how does that work out? Anyway, we're going to talk to Neil Plantick about that in just a bit. Also coming up at the bottom of the hour, does this make sense? All right, very good. And uh, for now, I got a new feature. What? Something Lex? new? Mm-hmm. All right. What is this? I'd like to introduce you, John, to Five at Five. Five at five. Mm-hmm. You have a writing implement? I do. It's a pen in my hand. I'm going to give you five things, and I want you to rank them. Okay. Top to bottom. Five? Okay. Five okay. things. Give me five things, and then I'm going to go five, four, three, two, one. You're going to decide. You're going to tell me what order they come in. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Andrew McCutcheon. Okay. Roberto Clemente. Mm-hmm. Dave Parker. Mm-hmm. Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. Neil Walker. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Andrew McCutcheon, Roberto Clemente, Dave Parker, Barry Bonds, or Neil and Neil Walker. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, this is complex. On because, a number of levels. I mean, just, you know, let's, if you want to talk just like pure baseball acumen, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, <laughs> the emotional connection. There's a deep part of that, which is all about baseball. Right. Um, and about growing up a fan yeah, of the Pirates. Look at and, all those things. Mm-hmm. Or it, you could, <clears throat> community uh, involvement or connection is mm-hmm, another thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or success of the team. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Historical precedent. Mm-hmm. All the those importance things. to the franchise. Right. Mm-hmm. Or oh, just my own personal feelings. All those things in there together. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had them ranked. Do you really? Sure. Okay. It was fairly simple to do for me. Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm ready. Number five. Yeah. Neil Walker. Okay. A fine ball player. Terrific guy. An excellent Pittsburgh citizen. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, look at who he's up against here. He's a modern day pirate. That's a steep uphill climb. Mm-hmm. There's no championships. There's no division titles. Very good. I like him. And not a. Not a bad broadcaster either. No, I think he's. I yeah. think he has a lot of potential yeah. there. So Neil Walker, number five. Okay. Number four, Barry Bonds. Oh, really? Yeah. I have little affection for Barry Bonds. Now I know, if you go out to the Bay Area, the greatest ball player in the history yep. of baseball, the home run king. Yep. Nope. No way, my friend. Because all you got to do is look at Barry. Pittsburgh Barry, him and Jimmy Leland fighting it out there on the sidelines. And Barry, excellent ball player, Hall of Famer. But then, introducing the steroids. And he goes from regular guy to Hulk Hogan. It mars him for me, tremendously Mm. so. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Now, there, of course, is a great argument, and I get it 100%, that he should be in the Hall of Fame. The numbers prove it. Everyone did steroids, they say. Mm-hmm. Barry's the poster child for all that. That's why he's a strong number four, maybe a number five. Okay. Number three, the Cobra. Okay. Dave Parker. All right. The best. I love him so much. 
1979, We Are Family. That swing. Oh, so my beautiful. gosh. That arm? Yep. Just a cannon. Just a prince, a champion. I love him. Of course, marred by the cocaine trials. Mm-hmm. That's his little bit of baggage. Mm-hmm. But, man, what a ball player. 1979, I'll never forget it. Those teams, Dave Parker, I love him. I love him mm-hmm. so much. Number two, Kutch. Oh, okay. Kutch. Huh? The revitalization of the Pittsburgh Pirate franchise. Someone to love, someone to root for, mm-hmm. a powerful ball player. Great, fabulous, excellent arm, quick striking the bat. Just, I love him every which way. I love Kutch. Top of the heap, mm-hmm. with the exception of number one, which is Roberto. Arriba, Roberto Clemente. My childhood hero, the adult hero in me. I love Roberto Clemente. Everything about him, the way he lived his life, the way he talked to the fans, the cannon of the arm, the 3,000 hits. His elegance as a person. Beautiful. Everything about him. Mm. 1971 world champion, MVP, Roberto Clemente. One of the greats forever. Arriba, Roberto. 54321. We are happy to welcome back to the Word FM Airwaves Cornelius Neil Plantiga, who is a senior research fellow at the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship and President Emeritus of Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Neil's been with us over the years. We've talked about one of his books that we absolutely love. He's got a brand new workout called Gratitude, Why Giving Thanks is the Key to Our Well-Being. Neil, welcome. Thank you, John. Glad to be back with you. Neil, this word sanctification... That's a big word. Um, I don't mean that it's hard to pronounce or that it's difficult to say, but it certainly encompasses a lot. For people who've never heard the word, can you explain it? Yes. Uh, For Christians, sanctification is a lifelong process of becoming gradually holier. Um, I don't mean that in a stained glass sense, but becoming um, more compassionate, kinder, humbler, uh, patient, forgiving, becoming more Christ-like. Sanctification is a process. Uh, It needs the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, and it needs our own hard work. Mm. And so sanctification, as you talk about in um, the CT article, which is excerpted from your new book, Neil, Taking Care of a Grateful Faith, it's part of um, uh, the process of, would you say, our spiritual hygiene? Yes. Um, We think of hygiene as something like brushing and flossing, but it's actually, um, the word actually comes from um, a root that means wholeness. So spiritual wholeness or spiritual health is what sanctification is aimed at restoring. And uh, it goes, we have, it waxes and wanes. We have some little triumphs and we have some setbacks, but uh, we're in it for the long haul. It takes our whole life. Hmm. So if it takes our whole life, um, that must mean it's something that we do, An right? intentional it, thing. Right. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like exercising, like you have to stay on it on a daily basis. Right. Um, all virtues, all um, character and spiritual wholeness uh, has two sources, One is God's work in us. 
The other is our own work in us. We need the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit even to be attracted toward goodness. But we also need our own um, daily exercises to thwart evil impulses in us and to encourage the growth of our virtues. Mm -hmm. So, Neil, in your piece, you talk about the idea of each one of us, all of us who are walking the earth. Of course, we we are nonstop sinners, but we all have something called a besetting sin, which is the, the overriding sin that we gravitate towards. And in sanctification, the goal is, with the spiritual hygiene, to put all of our sins to death. Can you talk about the besetting sin and the the path to putting sin to death? Yeah, the the term besetting sin has often been used to mean uh, the the deadly sin I am myself most prone to, and it can be can the term can be used in that sense. But uh, the truth is that there's a uh, a dismaying array of sins that yeah. I am. Um, I am tempted by and prone to. So uh, the Desert Fathers of the Christian Church uh, made a list of besetting sins. Mm -hmm. They're called the seven deadly sins, and they include pride, envy, anger, sloth, avarice, gluttony, and lust. And they thought, and many commentators after them thought, that the first of these sins, pride, which is really conceit, thinking more highly of myself than I ought to think, uh, was the deadliest because it was at the root of so many of the other sins. Hmm. So how do you, I mean, if conceit is your besetting sin, that like all these sins, they leak into every aspect of our lives. They are unrelenting. And so to sort of isolate something like that, it's like pulling a tooth out by your root. Essentially extremely painful, but if the tooth is rotted, it's a necessary act. Right. Well, you've got your finger on um, uh, a paradox there, John. Uh, yes, um, putting to death my sins is painful. It's uh it's called mortification because it's mortifying to do it. It's painful, but it's uh, alarmingly necessary. And I will not be healthy. I will not know gratitude or joy uh, unless I am daily engaged in the, the attempt to thwart uh, any of my evil impulses mm -hmm. and to yes. encourage my good ones. And so, Neil, you, you joined us today. It's, of course, a Fat Tuesday. Uh, Ash Wednesday begins tomorrow. It's the mark of the Lenten season. And I think, you know, Christians, well-meaning Christians uh, around the world, look at this as the beginning of a, a different season where you try to strip away a, a piece of that to draw closer to God. Can you talk about that? I mean, has this been something of your walk, or is this a particular sort of um, a spiritual side that maybe you're not uh, attuned to? Well, I think it's a um, it's apt, John, to point to Lent and to Ash Wednesday. Um, unfortunately, in much of the church that pays any attention to Lent at all, uh, it's gotten to be routine. Uh, namely, you give up something. Um, maybe like Huckleberry Finn, you give up watermelon because it's not in season. <laughs> right. uh, but in any case, you give something up. But 
The fact is that um, mortifying our sins is uh, a daily process year-round. We may uh, deliberately bring it to mind more during Lent, and I think that's appropriate. But uh, it's not going to be any uh, news or any surprise to Christians in Lent that they have to mortify their sins. They've been at it year-round. So you write in your article for Christianity Today that this is a wonderful exercise of dying and rising. Can you explain how those two things work together and what that's like practically in your life? Yes. Um, It was maybe the central um, dynamic that St. Paul uh, taught uh, for achieving a Christian life from our side, and that is that we have to die and rise with Christ. Paul thought of this in in, um, four distinct senses. You can find them all kind of mashed together in Romans 6. But uh, he was convinced that we died and rose when Christ did, because he was the second Adam, the head of a whole new race. So wherever um, the head of the body goes, the body also goes. So we died and rose uh, back when Jesus Christ did. But then Paul also uh, suggests in uh, Colossians 2 and 3 that we died and rose in our baptism, because in our baptism we are identified with the dying and rising Christ. His events become our events. And then in Colossians 3 particularly, he says, since you have uh, died and risen with Christ in those two first senses, keep the rhythm going, keep on dying, keep on rising with Christ. And his sense of dying with Christ is putting to death our sins, our lust, our greed, our, our uh, slander. Um, and his sense of rising with Christ is to uh, wear the, the baptismal robe of Christ consisting in Christ's virtues. Mm. So clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So putting to death our old self and then encouraging our new self with its attendant virtues is his third sense of dying and rising with Christ. And he regards all these as rehearsal for the day we physically die and the day at the end of the era when Christ returns and we rise to meet him. Hmm. So Four distinct senses of dying and rising with Christ, and the one that has most to do with sanctification is the third one, putting to death what ails us, encouraging um, to come to life like Jesus walking out of his tomb, our new self clothed with the virtues of Christ. Hmm. And so that dying to self and then rising to be Christ-like. A, a daily surrender, an exercise in, in many ways. People could say it, it seems so futile, but it is a necessary thing that we must do to draw closer to Jesus, yes? To die and then to rise, a daily thing. C.S. Lewis commented that he tried to begin each day by handing the day over to God, and then he remarked that by the time he had quit shaving, he'd try to get most of it back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the human condition, is yeah. it not? That's the human condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Neil, with only a minute left, uh, for people who are listening to the program who don't maybe 
they've never been in a church. Maybe the Christianity seems wacky and weird to them. And this seems like some kind of talk that only goes on in a monastery. Um, can you talk about just the, I don't know. The reality the, of yeah, it? Yeah, and the dailiness of it. Yeah, I would say that for me, uh, it's a lot of it has to do with uh, vigilance, being aware of my tendencies, not just drifting or dreaming through a day, but being aware of when my friend said something, what I almost said back Hmm. and repenting of it, um, breathing a prayer of confession to God, Hmm. that was wrong. Oh, Lord, I should not have done that. And I try not to do that again. Vigilance. um, You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in the sanctuary of your mind because all is open before God. Neil, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. You take very complex things and distill them down for us, the common people. We appreciate your time here with us. Always a pleasure to be with you, John and Kathy. Thank you. Cornelius Neil Plantiga, his brand new book is called Gratitude, Why Giving Thanks is the Key to Our Well-Being. sense does what make sense chicken soup when you're sick yes okay I, mean, I was thinking about it like is this one of those societal things that's been jammed down our throats Mm-mm. is this the kind of of mold that we've been thrust into that when someone's sick, you want to take them chicken soup, or when you're sick, you want to have... Is it just like, okay, well, that's what my mom did, and so that's what I'm doing? You know why it makes sense? Huh. This is weird. Every Chinese restaurant sells chicken soup because they know the restorative power of chicken soup. Is that why they do it? That's why I believe it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a difference between buying a can of Campbell's chicken soup. If you're sick and you're desperate... Yeah. Okay. Okay. But if you got a wife or uh, a mom or even a, you know, if you're if, a guy. Or what if you're a guy and you're a cook? Yeah. And they can make the good homemade chicken soup. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Psychologically comforting, spiritually a necessity. Mm. But I believe there's medicinal components to okay. this that are powerful. Okay. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Okay. You say yes to no, that? No, I, I agree. What? Okay. Good. I agree. But I, I do wonder sometimes, do I love this? Do I long for this when I'm sick just because it's what? My society's told me mm. I should long for. I think your body's you think crying out for it. something deeper. Okay. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm happy for it. I like heavy on the vegetables. Mm-hmm. I like the celery. I like the carrot. Yep. I like, it has to be a soft egg noodle mm-hmm. and a, a significant number of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A little pepper. Yep. And I don't want, I, I would really like the chicken roasted instead of boiled, to be honest. But okay. That makes, makes sense perfect to sense. me. Great. I, I agree. We agree on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Car floor mats. Now, let me just say this. My kid, my youngest boy, got himself for the first time like a, a decent vehicle. Okay. I said, hey, you need to put some car, you know, some floor mats in there. He gave me a look like I was like 99. <laughs> like that's like a weird thing. And I'm like, what? You, get some floor mats in there. Take, car, take care of that vehicle. Mm-hmm. Car floor mats. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Oh, I listen, but you're going to say no. I've seen people fall off that bandwagon, though, like your son. And 
You regret I get, it. I get in that car and I'm a little suspicious. You like, regret what? it. Well, for goodness sake, there's no floor mats in what? here? What are we doing? They're filthy. They're squishy, wet. Yeah. They and stink. And I got to be honest, there's hair that gathers down there if there's a no floor mat. I don't, I don't. You pull those things out. Yeah. You, you can them vacuum off. off or you can do whatever you have Feel to do. Feel good about things. Yeah, you think you need that. Take good care of your car, please. Oh, makes please. sense. It doesn't have to be expensive. Just a good car mat. Please. Makes sense. So does chicken soup. So here we are. It is a, a day before Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, lovers all over, <laughs> right? Doing the love thing. <laughs> right? It's more than just Taylor and the love thing. Travis. When you um, were in the dating mode and uh, met your husband, yep. when you first met, mm-hmm. were you like, holy smokes, that's no. the guy? No. No. Two years later, I was, but not mm, when we really? first met. Uh-huh. Not, no love at first sight there. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. No. And uh, it was more like that for him, and I found that very annoying. <laughs> like he was a little puppy boy. Mm. He wasn't a puppy. He was just, he he kept coming around well, when I'd already told him that I wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't give up? He didn't give up. He got his prize in the end. At the end. Because he kept coming around, right? Yes, but... Mm-hmm. It did take me a long, long time. Uh-huh. So there's an article in the Wall Street Journal. Headline is, don't buy the soulmate myth. Romance is not enough to forge a stable and happy marriage. That's painful to hear on Valentine's Day, isn't it? Yeah. The soulmate. Like there is a person, that one singular person that you are meant to be with. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's, that's total bunk. It is massive bunk. Complete. Right? Yeah, complete and a complete joke. And I was surprised to read in this article that uh, a recent survey showed that 80 percent of those under the age of 30 take this view. What? Of a soulmate? 80 percent. 73 percent of all Americans. Really? Okay, I remember uh, my high school girlfriend. We broke up and I was crushed. Name? Mary. Mary. John and Mary. Oh. And she was a year older than me, and then she went off and, you know, crushed me. Mm-hmm. I was like, ugh, beside oh, it's, myself. It's the, the sad, oh, the, oh. the grief is overwhelming. The first breakup. Oh, it was oh. like, oh, Oh, my. was there another breakup? No, I mean, oh. no, no, like, oh. like the first time your heart's oh. been broken. Oh, yeah, terrible. Oh. Oh, the pain like, is like. And, and my mom, she was pretty cut and dried. She says to me, Johnny, plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> and I was like, but I want that fish. I wanted that fish. Mm-hmm. I could not believe it. Yeah. I couldn't. I thought that that was my soulmate. Yep. So 80%. And then you miss your soulmate, and then you might as well just hang it up for the rest of your life. Right. I'm going to sit on the sidelines. Because I miss right? my soulmate. Old maid, sit in the shade, exactly. drinking a glass of lemonade. Yeah. That's or, what I thought. Or from now on, you're just going to have to settle for second best because that was your soulmate. Right. That's a horrible, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy expectation or label. To put on a relationship, whether real or imagined. I mean, little did you know, at 16, that's, there's a road ahead. And what a road it was. And now that you can look back on Mary, I'm sure oh, she was a lovely, lovely person. Lovely. But can, you can imagine that would have been a difficult relationship. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it was a di- but I mean, I'm glad where I am. Exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. The soulmate myth. I think it's a total myth. 
Uh, there's an article, and the reason we're talking about it is it's in the uh, Wall Street Journal. It says, don't buy the soulmate myth. I think you might have said that at the beginning. Sorry. I did. If you weren't <laughs> listening, you, 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 you might, if you had uh, tuning in there, you might have been thinking about something else, perhaps oh, your soulmate. I was. I was thinking about <laughs> something else. Because I did say else. that. But as I said it, I was like, well, this sounds really familiar. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, men and here. women who buy into the soulmate model appear more likely to end up divorced. This was apparent in the 2019 California Family Survey conducted by YouGov, which is the Institute for Family Studies. We've had people from that organization on our program several times. They asked about a thousand husbands and wives to describe their approach to marriage and family life. They had to pick whether they saw marriage through the soulmate lens as mostly about an intense emotional romantic connection or through the lens of family, viewing marriage as about romance, but also about kids, money, and the raising of a family together. Right. Now, not, not to dissuade the soulmate. No. Because, you know, when romance strikes, right. it's burning hot. Of course. Hunka, hunka, burn in love. Right. Exactly. And you want that. You need that. Ex- exactly. But there's a long road also, Right. A long road. The survey found that husbands and wives who took the soulmate view were markedly more likely to report doubts about the future of their marriage compared to those who took a family first view, even after controlling for factors like education, race, gender and the presence of kids. Hmm. Yeah. Now, wait, there's one other one I want to say. There's another survey, State of Our Union survey. That was 2000 husbands and wives aged 18 to 55. They found that after controlling for the usual demographic factors, those who followed the soulmate model were about twice as likely to report they were divorcing or were likely to divorce soon compared to those following the family first model. Fascinating. My son has a good friend that he met in college and they've stayed in contact and their family, they believe in arranged marriages. Okay. And so this young man is going to be involved in an arranged marriage. And he's surrendered to that. He knows this this is going to happen to him. Now, that... And, he, he, and he's, he's good with it. He is good with it, right? Now, he, you know, he's got a few years of before he enters into this. He's in his, like, early 20s. But he knows this is coming his way. And you think about that model. I mean, because if anything's family first, yeah. it's an arranged marriage. Right. I wonder what the success rate of of They're, arranged marriage is. Very high, actually. Right. Yeah, I, I've read about that a little bit. I'm not an expert, but overall, the numbers are set. Now, I, I'm for better or worse. Yes, and the and the the particular series of stories I've read uh, did not address forced marriages. Like right, right, right. Like a child who's fourteen no, 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 and marrying no, no, somebody no, no. who's sixty. It was not that sort of thing. It was just it seemed traditional like families traditional coming families, together. you know, ethnic families who mostly ha- who mostly who had this as a right. belief and tradition, and satisfaction was high. However, that's not an, you know a typical twenty first century American yeah. viewpoint, by, not by any stretch of the imagination, right? But it does take a all a lot of the drama out. It could take a lot of the highs out. It also could take some lows out. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, I'm thinking of this uh, young man who's a friend of your family. He doesn't have to kind of be concerned about the dating game. He's not about swiping right. Da- exactly. Right. At the same time, you want to love who you love. Right. Right. You want to fall in love with that woman that you you think that, you know, you've been searching for. And right. there she is. She makes your knees buckle. You mm-hmm. tremble. At the thought of her, right? There's something that's so beautiful, isn't it? Right. But, but then, but then, somewhere, either after the knee buckling or 
commensurate with the knee buckling, there is a decision that you're making that when the knees don't buckle, you're not leaving. You're going to show up and be there. Right. No matter what. Till death do mm-hmm. us part. Right. That's a sobering vow. It is. So we live in a weird society, right, where look, here's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Um, we're all about the love, but it often is superficial. So so growing into mature love, right, is a process. And it requires that commitment to say, I'm staying mm-hmm. regardless. And I need you to stay as well. Mm-hmm. I can't let you... You can't bolt. Right. We got to work this out. Two imperfect people, and especially in a Christian marriage, coming together with Jesus in the middle. How are we going to do this? What's that's our best shot at staying together and raising a family and being happy. Right. It's so complex. Now listen to this. Back to the Wall Street Journal, the soulmate model fails to see that happiness in life and love is less likely to be found when we pursue it directly. Pursuing your own happiness is like chasing a mirage of water across a desert. As many of the great philosophical and religious traditions of the West instruct us, from Aristotelian ethics to the Torah and the Christian gospel, happiness is more likely to appear when we set our compass on destinations beyond ourselves and our own desires. How about that? Well, that runs anathema to where we are. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Right. And everything else will be added because we're not good when we live for what we want only. We're not good. (laughs) We're a hot mess. Yeah. But we get better. We grow wiser when we're, we have our eyes set on something else and God forms the rest of our characters through it. I think that's a really good point. Mm -hmm. But that's a hard awakening. And you can't Mm -hmm. tell someone that, you know, unless you're super mature in your twenties or your, you know, whenever you get married, that this is the road ahead. Because people, people want to love, right? You need the well, love. Well, and when you see the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing, there's something so wonderful about seeing people care for each other. It it's wonderful, yeah. and that shouldn't we're, we shouldn't be too cynical to appreciate that when we see it, whether it's two famous people or it's two people who live next door. Does the the backlash around that surprises it's me? It's sad. I think the backlash is just. Envy and cynicism mixed together. Yeah, I, I would buy that. Because if you would talk, I think probably nine out of ten people would nod their head. Mm-hmm. And if that was them, they would say, yes, I want right. I want a piece of that. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So I am surprised by, by the weird backlash. Because we live in a society that prizes romantic love almost over all yeah. things. Although until recently, until we all, you know, people are starting to swipe right. And, like, right. I think to be a, a young person in today's fractured romantic culture, like all things, that these kids are guinea pigs for the you know social media, whatnot. It's a very difficult and I'm sure painful way to to go out and find something that is of value and worth to you for the long term. Mm-hmm. It also says here in the uh, journal article. That couples who have regular date nights are about fifteen percentage points more likely to be very happy in their marriage. Mm-hmm. How about that? Uh, yeah. So there's so it's not like romance has to die no. or romance needs to be, you know, subdued. No. It's not that. Court it's just other. that 
in fact, it calls it a paradox here in the article. The paradox of contemporary marital happiness is that husbands and wives who don't focus on being in love, but instead recognize that love is a decision to care for their spouse, kids, and kin are more likely to find themselves happily married. Hmm. Very good. Okay, so I'm surprised by the findings in that article that 80% of people today would think that, you know, the soulmate is a necessity or an, an active thing that I need in mm-hmm. my life and my marriage. Mm-hmm. Because true love runs counter to that, I believe. The commitment yep. is everything. Yep. And as, my, as this guy's research shows, this is the uh, conclusion of the article. This is very interesting. No other factor, not money, not a satisfying job, not a great education, or even frequent sex is a better predictor of happiness for American men and women than a high-quality marriage. This is one of those years where Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day fall on the same day. This Mm -hmm. happens, right? Mm -hmm. So today, of course, is Fat Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Um, Mardi Gras is a flame. Yes, it is. (laughs) Today's the last day of it. Probably literally. Yeah. Uh, But... I think in a lot of families, you know, they're doing pancakes this evening, sausage, bacon, syrup, all that. We just had like this massive amount of Listen, when I I came into the studio today, John had prepared a Fat Tuesday repast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was a a lovely selection of trail mix. There was black licorice, which is one of my favorite things on earth. And uh, it's made it a whole lot easier to get through the show. I'll be honest with you, with all of that, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. with all of that sugar. I'll have a piece. I did say yeah. I was having a, a trail mix rush here, just not that long ago. Mm. Man, that liquor smells so good. A lot of sugar. That is a lot of sugar. Okay, so you're giving up sugar, and we did not talk about this. No, we did we not. We did not talk about uh-huh. this. Uh, yeah, I decided that uh, it's a god. I, I just I go I go through the. I just feel like it's too important to me. Oh, it's everything to me. I just feel like it's too important. Like to at me. nighttime. Mm-hmm. I have a meal, mm-hmm. and then I'm like going. Yeah, what's bring next? Bring on the cookies. What's next? Bring it. What I got here? Right. So I gotta, I gotta separate myself yeah. from that because Me I too. live around sugar Me for some too. weird reason. Yeah, and it's never gone away. Yeah. So this is going to be hard. Can I surrender sugar and walk with Jesus in that? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this like you know I'm saving you know saving the world right, here. Right, right, but I, I need to suffer through this season a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. So, as you're chewing licorice. <laughs> it's Fat Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I feel like it's the right choice for me. I was thinking, I've been thinking about it for the last couple of weeks. But this morning, uh, I, I thought, okay, this is the, this is the right thing for me. I'm, I'm going for it. I said to my wife a couple of days ago, I said, I'm going to give up sugar. She was like, oh, I'll join you because I've been thinking about it too. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. She's like me. Yeah. Got a sweet tooth. Yep, me too, man. I'm right there with both of you. Yeah. So, okay. So the next six weeks are going to be. So is there a wiggle room here? Like, so like in my, like my coffee in the morning? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. A sugar substitute? No, 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 no. No sugars, no, 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 no. Splenda. Uh, to, no the way stevia. I'm looking at it is like All or no, nothing. no desserts. That's the way I'm looking at it. So wait, no, like, but what about like. 
I mean, you know, you can go to extremes. <laughs> okay, like a, there was a guy who used to work here, love the guy, he's a sales guy. You got to lunch with him, and he'd go, no, wait a second. In my salad dressing. No way. I'm not I mean, doing that. is there sugar? No. Wait, in my bread. No, I'm not is doing there, that. You know, no, that I'm. But just the obvious yes, suspects. Right. I'm not eating no cake. No candy. I'm not having cookies. Right, right. I'm not going to have Coke. I'm going to, you know You're what not I mean. really a Coke drinker anyway. Well, I do like vanilla Coke. Oh, right. I'm not going to have an AP. An AP? Arnold Palmer. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not going to do okay, that. Okay. So the obvious stuff, right? right. But Because, you know, we're surrounded by sugar. There's mm-hmm. sugar in just about everything in American, you know, right. cuisine, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And you know what I'm going, what I'm hoping to do hmm. is to really enjoy my food, good food to really enjoy it. Because what I've noticed is that because sugar is in my life, I end up when I'm eating, thinking about what I'm going to have after I'm done eating, (laughs) which is sick behavior. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, That's a childish way of looking at food. Okay. Now, but I don't want this to be like, you know, a a twofer, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to, um, uh, I'm not going to eat sugar, and and maybe I'll lose weight. Well, right? okay, but that's not that's why like, you're doing it. No. <clears throat> right. So, uh, now look, this is something new for you, right? I mean, bef- before we met, you weren't really, like, never really thought about Lent. No, I never did. Or, I never gave up anything for Lent until right. I met you. you <laughs> I don't know what that means. Well, no, just, but I just wasn't part of your it spiritual... Wasn't, it wasn't part of my spiritual discipline right? at all. And people, uh, people li- might be listening and think... Well, that's, that's what, so what are you Catholic. guys doing? Yeah, why are you doing that for? No, I, I, I just, I really, uh, a couple years ago, I gave up sugar, but not for Lent. I started on Easter. Mm. and On Easter day? On Easter. And actually did like a fast after Lent. No peeps. No peeps. Um, and it was, it was really spiritually good for me. It was really spirit. And I did it, I ended up doing it for almost two years. No sugar. No sugar. Well, I mean, no dessert. Right, right. Okay, so then what about the spiritual aspect of it? Um, will you pray differently? Uh-huh. Will you worship yes. differently? How's that work? Yes, that look like? I don't know. I think it remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the adventure of giving something up for Lent. When you're... Is it's, you don't know. Right. Okay, so I'm jonesing. It's, you know, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and I'm going, I know I got yep. something out there, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go get that. But by denying myself, mm-hmm. it will draw me closer, and I'll be intentional yep. in this process. Yep. Day after day after yep. day, the, through the six weeks of Lent, yep. the Lenten season. Yep. Now, there are some people who go, well, on Sunday, you know, there's a free pass. No, I don't see that. I don't not, either. because no, I think it's, Lent. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah, I think it's dangerous, right, what, too. You're going to give yourself, so it's only six days a week, but right. people do do no, that. No, I'm not doing that. All right, good. All right, so stay tuned. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm not going to even think about it. I'm not going to. No. I really don't want to talk about no, it a whole me, lot. No, me neither. Look, we're just going to do it. We're talking about it on 50,000 watts. Exactly. <laughs> okay, <laughs> changing the subject is. before yeah. the show's over. Yeah. Stockard Channing. Her uh, birthday's today. How old do you think she is? 79. She's 80. Hey. Okay. Happy birthday, Stockard Channing. The Ride Home with John and Kathy. A production of Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.